My name is Tara, and I'm always searching for the connection between all kinds of people. Given the current landscape, we often feel divided amongst each other. It is inspiring to find the commonality amongst each other. In the essence of inspiring, the guest I'm talking to today was able to go to school full-time while working full-time and taking care of her two daughters. With her mindful and calm demeanor, she has also inspired the team she leads to keep cool under pressure and to persevere through the tough times we face. Please welcome my next guest, Alice Carroll. Thanks for joining me today, Alice. Thanks so much for having me, Tara. Wow, that was a great introduction. <laughs> well, thank you. You're very kind, too. I always like to give my listeners just a brief introduction before we deep dive in there as well. So let's start right off the bat here. What is your specific title and what department do you work at for Ohio Health? Sure. Um, I work as an executive coach and as the director of the Leadership Academy at Ohio Health. Yeah, over, oversight for the leadership development of 1,400 to 1,600 leaders, depending how you count. Um, and, and I am lucky enough to do that with a really awesome team. I'm just, I'm so glad to be part of your team. I'll just say that right off the bat. And also very good statistic point, 1,400 to 1,600 leaders. I guess I never realized how many leaders we have in the organization. Pretty big audience. <laughs> yes, that's a lot of people to capture their attention and hopefully inspire them and just lead their teams through challenging times that we're facing as well. So thanks for sharing that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think of it as that's, that's 1,400 people who influence 30,000 people who work for us who are part of families and communities that extend beyond that. So it's a, it's a really big reach, potentially, if we're doing our job right to uh, the difference that we can make and the impact we can have. That's a very good point right off the bat there, too, that you start with that small group, but it transcends to our whole organization. And then even another layer to that, it goes beyond into the communities that we serve, too. So that's a good touch point for the many layers that we can hopefully impact and inspire a lot of people as well. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's do a little bit of a deeper dive here. So first off, congrats on completing your master's back in May. Yay! Thank That's you awesome. so much. Yeah, that's not an easy feat from what I understand. So yeah, kudos to you. I, I bet that had to be challenging there as well. But my first question within that realm then, what ultimately made you decide to go back to school to get your master's? Well, I have sort of a two-part answer. The, uh, the tactical answer is that I definitely had encouragement slash pressure from my leader. Um, okay. <laughs> I've been lucky enough to have a really great and robust career traveling through HR and through different levels of leadership, all while rocking a bachelor's in theater arts and definitely have learned a lot along the way. Um, and, and my leader caringly said, listen, I'll consider you for this role. And it wasn't the role that I'm in now. It was a couple of roles back because I know you and I know your work. But if I were to be looking at your resume and see that your formal education was in theater, I probably wouldn't consider you for this. So you're selling yourself short. You don't go back and pursue something that, that backs up the knowledge that you have been able to gather in intrinsic ways. So that was the the impetus for me to say, okay, it's finally time to do this. Um, but then on a personal level, I, I love learning. I am a, I'm definitely a lifelong learner. It's a big part of who I am and how I function in the world. I don't set New Year's resolutions. I set New Year's learning goals and I've done that forever. So I also am, I also have an awesome mom who has a PhD and I had an awesome grandmother who had a PhD. So education is something that's highly valued in my family. And uh, I just had never found the right degree for me where I felt like, yeah, this is really what I want to do. And I really want to go deep in it. I had tried, I'd picked up looking at master's programs several times and then everything that I've looked at or that was recommended for me just felt like it was going to end up being kind of a check the box activity. This was going to be something that would say, yeah, she's got a degree or, you know, yes, she has an MBA, but nothing where I thought I'm going to be a better person as a result of this program. And it was important to me not to do that. So with the kind of the universe aligning with my boss kicking me in the pants 
and um, me having a, a clearer idea that, you know what, learning and development and how organizations function and how organizations and leaders can do the best work they can do to change the world that we live in. By the time that crystallized for me as something that was really important, I was able to look again and I was lucky to find a program that looked like it was made for me. It just all kind of aligned. Wow. First off, you brought up a lot of really good points. I feel like we can definitely go down <laughs> some rabbit holes and this could be a great like three hour conversation. Sorry, <laughs> no, I love that because that just brings up really good points as well. And I feel like you said it beautifully there near the end where it's like all the stars align that mm -hmm. you have that your boss or your director kind of being an influence to you and, and giving you guidance on, hey, if you really do want to move up in this position, this would be the best way to look at it strategically. So that's great that you had your boss um, look out for you there as well, just to give you some insight, because I feel like unfortunately most people don't have that with who they work with. And that always breaks my heart when they don't have a great relationship with their boss or who they work with. And then on the totally. other fact too, that you mentioned that you always love learning and you're always curious to learn new things. So that's kind of, it seems like gave you the drive or the motivation there as well. And that's awesome that you've had two very inspiring women got all the way up to their PhD level too. So, I mean, just a lot of the influences and things lining up, it just sounds like it was a perfect combination for you to just dive in and see what happened. Yeah. I, I definitely feel really lucky in all of that. And, and honestly, I, I believe if I had told my leader no or not now, he still would have supported me and backed me and, and had my back and helped me develop in other ways. But it was, um, it was exactly the push that I needed to get serious about what I would have wanted to be doing anyway. Right. And that's another good point you bring up too, that he did offer that advice or suggestion or helped push you to it. But in the off chance you were to say no, that he would have looked at other resources. He wanted to mm -hmm. shut you down easily or he wouldn't have resisted and be like, well, why aren't you following my guidance? It is definitely a twofold there. You got to kind of respect the boundaries or look at other alternatives when talking to your boss about that stuff or really any work situation as well. So within that same realm as well, I feel like COVID has amplified this thought for me, but I have considered going back to school for my master's as well. So I'm trying to do my research and see what degrees are out there, what programs, what best fits my needs as far as like the scheduling and obviously the cost and ultimately what am I passionate about? So for those like myself or the audience who's listening, what advice do you give for someone that is looking to go back to school for any degree? First of all, I would say, and um, obviously, Tara, this is really skewed by my experience, but I would say make sure you really love what you're going back to school for because juggling working full-time and going to school is not easy. It's not. And so you have to really be excited about what you're learning. And I, when I think about what it would have been like for me trying to do the experience, if I wasn't excited and passionate about what I was learning, it would have been really really draining, really a slog through it. Um, and I, and I could have ended up really resentful and burnt out. And, and yeah. in fact, I, I didn't, I, in a lot of ways had more energy than I've had before. Um, and, and I miss it since graduating because I was so intellectually stimulated by what I was doing that, yeah, it took more time, but it also fueled my work in really dynamic ways. And I was able to connect what I was learning in school to what I was learning in my role um, in ways that were meaningful. So I would say make sure it's something that you're passionate about. The other thing that I would really encourage people to do, and of course COVID has put some interesting wrinkles in this too, is I would really consider people to, to think about their learning style preference. Of course, we can all learn in every way of learning, but most of us have a way that we prefer to learn. And when you're putting yourself in a situation where the, the hours in the day are stacked against you, um, you don't want to have an uphill battle. So for me, online learning is not my favorite. It is tough for me. It requires a lot more um, mental endurance for me to learn online. And I do really well with social learning. I love to um, engage in meaningful conversations with others while I'm learning. And uh, so I, I looked for a program that would be at least a hybrid program, knowing that an, a strictly online education was going to be limited in terms of what I would take from it. 
And that's not going to be true for everybody. So know your preference. But I found a program that was residency-based, which I, I feel really lucky to have found. So each semester I would have an intensive seven or eight days of in-person learning with one cohort that I stayed with throughout the entire degree program, followed by um, activities, reading, projects, papers, so many papers wow. um, that I would do <laughs> back at home and at, and at my job. It, it was just for me the perfect blend of I'm, I'm learning in a cohort with these 30 other people, um, many of whom I know I'll have lifelong relationships with coming out of that um, and I have the ability to apply what I'm learning to my work setting and do projects and papers in my organization that really made my, my learning immediately applicable. So there were no, no case study papers really that were, that were ambiguous or hypothetical. Everything that I did was, was tied to real business, real experiments so for me that really worked I would just say it's not going to be the same answer for everybody but take the time to think about what's the learning situation you're going to thrive in and look for the program where you're going to have what you need to feel like you are um, you're not dreading it you're looking forward to it and you're able to, to grow and blossom Absolutely. Excellent points that you bring up there as well. The first key point being is that you got to be very interested or passionate in what degree that you're looking at, because if you don't have that passion behind it, it's going to seem like a dread to get all the papers done and take all the tests and it, and you kind of lose your sense of motivation or lose your sense of purpose of why am I doing this again? So that's a very good point as well. And then the second point being, it just sounds like doing a lot of research as well. So how do you like to learn? Do you want to do all online? Do you want to do a hybrid? Do you want to go back and do all of your um, classes in person? You know, obviously with COVID, whenever we are able to start doing that. But since there's different learning styles, trying to find one that suits you the best too, as far as your schedule and learning style as, and seeing if you're able to connect it to where you are working at now. So with you being in the learning department and with your master's in organizational development, as you mentioned earlier, when you were doing case studies, and projects, it, it wasn't really that difficult per se. I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but at least you were <laughs> able to make it relatable to what you were doing currently. So it wasn't too big of a learning curve then. If again, hopefully I'm not putting words in your mouth, but that's like the sense I got. Yeah, definitely. I don't, I don't think you're putting words in my mouth at all. It was, um, it was relevant and timely. And even if what I was talking to leaders in the organization or associates in the organization wasn't directly related to my job. Every conversation I had, it helped me deepen a relationship or build a new relationship, uh, actually ended up helping me in my role at the time I was leading the learning team. So the, the learning team's visibility was able to rise up to some extent because of conversations that I was having with people about big ideas. Um, and then yeah. while I was there, I could say, oh, hey, let me tell you about some of the great things we're doing in learning, because um, learning for anybody who is listening and knows is sort of the organization's best kept secret. Yes, it is. I 100% <laughs> agree on that. I'm glad that our visibility is rising and people are starting to reach out to us as well, because when I joined the learning team a couple of years ago, and I worked for Ohio Health in a previous position before I moved to learning. I didn't even know that department existed. I didn't know that simulation existed, that learning existed, clinical education, like that was all new to me. Um, so kind of going further back in the conversation within the same realm. So obviously like getting your technical education, your master's, bachelor's, whatever degree you have, um, I feel like that definitely coincides to life experience as well. That shapes you into who you are and how you move up the ladder, how you progress in your job and your career as well then. So within those hopefully valuable life lessons, what have you learned from those lessons that you're able to apply to work then or your education that has helped you out then? So you're, what we're looking for here is really the kind of what's, what's the, the non-formal learning? Yes. Is that right, Tara? Okay. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I, as you could tell from my earlier story and rocking the theater degree for as much of my career as I have, I'm a huge believer in, in, in a highly engaged learner being able to learn a whole lot without formal education. Yes. Um, and yes. I definitely, throughout my 
career. Um, HR is my second career. My first career was theater education. But throughout it, have kind of raised my hand for any opportunity or followed my curiosity into new territory. That's really um, helped. And, and when you're in the right places with people who are willing to take a chance on you, it, sometimes that's all it takes. It's just raising your hand and saying, I'd like to try that actually. Or yeah, I don't have any experience in this, but I'm really curious. Can I tag along and learn more? That's really been the, the path for me for a lot of growth. I was really lucky in a previous organization to, um, to be able to just keep raising my hand for new opportunities and being put in places where um, I, I could just follow my curiosity and passion to, and um, stay in the rookie mindset for a long time. And I think that there's really something to that. When you, when you know you don't know, you can often be a better leader than when you think you know. And yes. uh, that, I would say that's been true for me. Um, uh, some other things I'll add, which I think is more along the lines of the, the question you actually asked me versus the question I just decided to answer. No, um, you're good. <laughs> my, my degree, as I mentioned, was in theater and it was really all I did um, for a long time. And I, I highly believe that theater and improvisation taught me more about leadership than anything formal that I've learned about leadership. Um, in terms of being able to connect with an audience, being able to read the room, being able to quickly absorb new content and then deliver it with authority and conviction, which is not to say that, that, it's, a, that it's an act, but it is to say that there's a lot in, in the delivery and the connection with your audience that has to do with how effectively you can um, lead and inspire and communicate, which is a huge part of being a leader. As part of my theater education time, I also worked in a public school system. And I will tell you that uh, I learned so much working with children and parents of children in particular that I now apply in a more corporate setting to managing stakeholders and understanding what you can and can't control. Yes. I really think that my, it's my experience with, with parents and I am, I am one. So parents out there, don't be offended by this, but try giving somebody a B in theater and see what kind of, or their parents. Yeah. It, the, the lessons I learned navigating those conversations really set me up to be able to go into the, the boardroom at Ohio health and pitch something that people maybe weren't going to be really excited about. And there is no CEO that is scarier than an outraged parent. <laughs> right. <laughs> Beyond that, I would say some, some of my growing up experiences taught me a lot about resilience and self-nurture and um, finding balance in challenging situations. And I certainly apply that every day. And in the last year, probably, I've learned a lot about letting go of some of that self-nurture and allowing other people to also take care of me and to accept that with grace. Yes. So man, it's a lifelong journey. That That's an awesome journey. So I knew you did theater for a little bit, didn't know that you were also within the education realm as well. So I always give kudos to those who work um, as a teacher, those in the education field. My dad is a teacher along with two of my best friends and hearing your story along um, with their stories as well, it, it's not easy, especially talking to the parents on, on top of also working with the kids as well. That's just a lot of conflict managing and communication skills and and your emotional intelligence as well in, in working with that community. So again, kudos to you and everybody out there listening to that relates to the teacher <laughs> in the education field. Uh, Tara, I did, um, I primarily did kindergarten through fifth grade for the bulk of my time. And that was was beautiful. But the the couple of years that I also did sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, I, I think took several years off my life. <laughs> so <laughs> I would give an extra, extra shout out to, <laughs> to teachers of middle schoolers. I'm a parent of a middle schooler who I think is delightful, but it's a, that takes a special kind of human and, and uh, listeners mad props to you. <laughs> yes. All teachers are great, but you're right too. The one friend I mentioned is middle school, seventh and eighth grade math and science. And, and God bless her, the stories I hear from her, I'm like, I don't know how you do. And I feel like she made the same joke, too, where she's like aging really faster than what <laughs> right. I need to be right now. And I'm like, God, God bless you. Every teacher's great. But I feel like whatever reason that middle school, sixth, seventh and eighth grade, th that's just a tough time to teach. So, yeah, yeah. extra kudos to you, especially that grade level. I just 
I would just walk out and be like, I'm done. I can't do this. It sure keeps things in perspective. <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So just like really great points you brought up there too. And also being a former theater kid as well. I feel like theater and improvisation teach you a lot that you mentioned there earlier as well. How to capture the audience's attention and how to engage them in that as well. And of course, we always know in theater something could go wrong. So how do you quickly on your feet get out of that situation and keep the show going? Regardless of your degree, you can always learn something from that as well as far as soft skills. But I really feel like theater is such the underdog there as well. I feel like it really right. teaches you a lot that other courses or degrees don't teach you. Not not to downplay them either, but I really feel like theater and arts is just such an underdog with degree yeah. and what you learn from it and how you can apply it later in life like yourself. And as you're talking to Tara, it's triggering for me another point that I want to make about that, which is in theater yeah. and, and in improv, it is a team sport. You cannot do it alone. I mean, be serious. Even if it's a one-woman show, you're not doing it alone. Somebody yes. is running the light. Somebody's stage managing. So there are the people who are in the spotlight who are getting the attention and the recognition. There are always just as many people, usually more behind the scenes making it possible. And you have to trust each of those people. And if you're doing improv or, I mean, really any theater, but I'll highlight it for improv specifically, you don't look good unless the rest of your team on stage looks good too. There's never, you're never going to succeed if you're out for you. You have to be there for the team and think, how do I help my acting partner really shine here? How do I make it easy for them to look good? And that's how together we put on a great performance. And I think I carry that through to the way that I approach work. Um, and, and hopefully people feel that for me, but I'm, I'm always looking for like, what's going to help, what's going to help my, my partner in this really shine. And, and I, and I know, and I trust that, that ultimately that's going to be good for me and my team as well. And then who's behind the scenes that's making this possible that deserves a little bit of spotlight. One million percent agree on that. Very good point with theater. I feel like a lot of people don't recognize is that it is a team effort, whether you're on the stage or behind the scenes, it does take everybody's time and commitment to make sure the show does run really well and that you all collaborate together too. You may have the lead in the show, but that doesn't mean you're going to be able to do everything. You know, you got to rely on your other castmates and the costume people and the stage people because you're right. It is a team effort to make the show happen for it to run successfully. It does not rely on one person whatsoever. Yeah. And as a leader, if we ever forget that, we, we've really lost, we've lost what we need to remember to be able to be a, uh, an effective leader. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, it, I'm just going back to that notion that theater and arts skills, it definitely transpires into leadership skills or just everyday working schedules as well. Just like sports, when you're working with a team in order to win the game, you all have to do your part and, and contribute. It's from both sides there as well. So kind of shifting gears here then, since you are in a director level within a big organization as well, I'm always curious to ask my guests this question. What has been your personal experience being a woman in a director level position then, if you care to share more on your experiences with that? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <There's> a... <laughs> well, let me tell you, Tara. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always curious. <laughs> yeah. Actually, this is something that I've thought a lot about, and I am really passionate about helping um, women in leadership and helping, helping organizations um, set the stage for women in leadership to, to shine and thrive um, it, because it's, it's good for everybody. I, I definitely will say that, one, my perspective has evolved, and um, two, I think, I hope, that the, the world and, that we're living and working in is evolving too. Yeah. So um, I'll start with how much time do I have? <laughs> Take as much time as you okay. need. There, there's um, no stopwatch or time or anything. So yes, please don't ever hesitate to take your time on sharing okay. anything. So I'll start with a, a story from a previous organization that um, kind of illustrates, I've shared this story before, but um, I think illustrates some of, of what this arc has been for me personally, and I think for, for women leaders in general. Sure. I, um, at, at one point in, in, in an awesome organization, um, was an up and coming 
performer. I, I did great work. I was, as I mentioned before, I was really curious. I was willing to try anything. Um, my results were really good. And I, I was also 25 and blonde and petite. And I think I'm hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had somebody pull me aside and, um, my personal style is, is fairly visually expressive. You know, I'm coming from the arts. So I, I love interesting fabrics and colors and patterns and feminine silhouettes I'm drawn to. So you can, you get a picture of what 25 year old Alice might've looked like. Right. Um, and I, somebody pulled me aside and out of caring and compassion said, listen, I really want to put you in front of a client because of the quality of your work, but I can't take you because they won't take you seriously the way you look. So um, maybe if you could look a little more Tina Fey and less Amy Poehler, you could use that humor thing for your advantage. So I, I took this advice because it was really well-meaning. I mean, the, it's horrible, right? You hear it now and think, I can't believe somebody would say that. At the same time, this was a person who was rooting for me, who really wanted me to have the chance to grow. And ultimately, because I took this advice, I did have doorways open up for me that allowed me to continue to grow and evolve. So I, I did it, Tara. I dyed my hair brown and I started wearing glasses to work. Wow. And I, um, I started wearing suits that kind of, kind of disguised my figure and um, essentially made myself look less, uh, less attractive and more like the men in the rooms that I was going into. And uh, I was okay with it at the time. And as I got older um, and found more of my own confidence and more of my leadership voice and grew in my style, I started to really resent that um, and, and started feeling like, listen, if you can't hear my words because of what you see when you look at me, that's kind of on you. And I yes. shouldn't have to change the way I look for you to be able to hear me and take me seriously. And I, I mean, I definitely have developed expertise and my own presence. And, um, I'm, I'm older, <laughs> but, um, but I have gotten to the point where I am much, I am. And even when I started at Ohio health, I was told when I came in, listen, this is a black suit culture. That's what you wear. If it's, you know, what you can wear, what you want on a normal day. But, um, if you're doing a presentation, it's, you wear pants, you wear a black suit, like it, you, this is what you do for them to take you seriously. And I did that when I started, but quickly decided that I wasn't going to do it anymore. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to disguise the fact that I'm a woman in leadership. Uh, and, and here's the thing, I am a better leader for a lot of the things that I bring that are uniquely female attributes. And, and that's not a knock on any of the amazing male leaders that I've had a chance to work with for right. or lead myself. I happen to have an amazing leader and an amazing direct report who are both very sensitive men um, that, that I have amazing relationships with. And right. So, however, the, what I know from being a mother makes me a better leader. It's not a disadvantage. It's an advantage. Yes. My leadership improved when I had children. Um, what, what I know and am good at instinctively as a woman those are things that are needed in an organization. Yes. I am not a good leader in spite of being a woman. I am a good leader in part because I am a woman. Um, so gradually I have, uh, I've shifted back to um, showing up like me. I've found my way back in. I, I looked at myself and said, you know what? I want to be the person at work that I am at home. I want to be the person at work that my kids would recognize yes. because yes. she's pretty cool. And, um, more of her at work is probably going to improve what I bring to the organization and hiding myself at work doesn't, doesn't support anybody. And, uh, so, so I take a risk. I take a risk now when I walk in to do a leadership presentation and I don't look like the rest of the people in the room. Um, I take a risk when I talk unapologetically about my kids, about my emotions, um, uh, about my experience as being a woman. And, um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna apologize for it. I'm not gonna leave it out. I'm not gonna pretend to be an asexual being 
to further my career. And, and not only do I no longer worry about what that's going to do for my career, I also feel it's my duty as a female leader to pave the way for other women. Um, and to talk about what executive presence looks like in a way that allows me to encompass and embrace my femininity. Wow. I mean, clearly, obviously, the audience listening, you can't see our faces. I mean, I'm, I'm crying. It's like a happy crying, but also like a realization crying, if that makes sense, because it's like, I feel like people don't understand the box that women are put in. As you mentioned earlier, when you were younger, obviously, that person was in your corner and they had the best intent for you. But it's like you also lost your, excuse me, identity in a way there too. Yeah. And just to see that grow from when you were younger back then and doing that transformation, but then over time realizing, why did I even need to do that? I can right. still be myself within a professional setting and also being a woman, that's only a small facet of me in a leadership position. Recognize that, yes, I am a woman, but I can bring a lot more to the table and you know I'm not just going to use as a clutch every time if that makes sense like there's more to me than just me being a woman then and I feel like yeah. for me in my career journey it's taken me a while to realize that as well just like seeing that growth and like I feel like again there's a fine line between obviously being professional in that setting but still being individual and very expressive to you and not hiding that whatsoever so you brought up a lot of <laughs> memories <there. laughs> like I said it's like a good thing that I've brought that to light again because it's been sitting in the back of my head and then talking with you I'm like holy crap I know we're not the only two women that have ever faced that and I'm, I'm hoping people in the audience recognize that too discussing this well so thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that holy crap <laughs> <laughs> I love that though yeah and wow. that vulnerability that that's been a journey for me too because I lot for a long time I didn't feel like I could show that because I feel I felt like being vulnerable would would feed right into people's stereotypes, um, yes. and, I, and I felt like I had to guard against it. It's, it's taken a village <laughs> to get me there, oh, and it's sure. a work in progress. Yes, it, it's never too late to turn the next page and to start over and, and to continue to grow. I, I don't care how old you are, whether you're 20, 89, whatever, whenever you have that realization, it's a beautiful thing, and hopefully you can keep that momentum going too. But yeah, I experienced that unfortunately with another company as well, where, uh, where I was working at, I obviously interacted with a lot of customers. So of course, you know, I had to be bubbly and happy and smiley, which I am like 95% of the time. But ironically enough, I guess I was doing it too much that my boss pulled me aside and said, Hey, you're actually too friendly and bubbly. Like, can you be a little bit more stoic? And I hate to be that person, but the interesting fact is that that boss was a female as well. So I'm like, I'm confused. But it hit me really hard. And it took me a few years to get out of that mindset because as soon mm. as she said that, it stuck with me. Right. And, and I toned it down. And I'm like, but that's not me personally. Like, why do I have to like tone it down or change my personality or my behavior to a certain extent? You know, so that I guess that's why that's the memory that it brought up for me. Like, holy crap. I was thinking as you were talking about sort of this competence likability trade-off that we have as women that you, yeah. you have to be right exactly in the, in the center of that, because if you're too likable, then you don't come across as capable and competent. People don't trust you to think right. if you're too competent and capable. Then we know the word that people will use to describe you and how you show up at work. Right. Um, we're not so going to say it, but yes, we're not going to say it. <laughs> This is a family show. <laughs> yes, we're keeping but, a PG here. Yes, right. Um, but you can be incredibly capable, and people trust you to get results. But they don't want to be around you. What's the balance of competence and likability, and how do you make sure that you're right where you need to be in that? I also love that in the story that you shared, it was a it was a, a fellow female who made that comment, and I think that's so important to highlight. I would not want anyone to think that I'm saying that this is something that men do to women. I mean, this is, it's the system that we work in, and yes. we, we do it to each other, and sometimes, sometimes worse than anybody else. So this, that's in part why I think it's really important for me to make sure that I'm playing a role to help people see what does executive presence look like in a way that allows me to bring my whole self, my best self, and to be to bring the unique characteristics of me, whether that be gender or personality or anything else, and also do it in a way that's respectful of the audience and the setting and the, the weight of the situation that I'm in. And, and I think, I think you can do that, but I, yes. we need, we need leaders who will model it. 
all all excellent points and stories you brought up there. As I mentioned earlier, that's definitely a deeper rabbit hole, and we could definitely have a three-hour <laughs> conversation about it, which I would love to side for another time. But it, I mean, real quick, it's just for me at an associate level, it's also in a way refreshing to know that someone in a higher up position has experienced that like that. So it's just refreshing yeah. to know that we're not alone in that situation, right? Right. Yeah, I would definitely want anybody to hear that. But you are you are not alone. Somebody else is having this journey too, and you can find allies um, and exchange stories. And and that that storytelling tradition that's part of how we help each other. Yeah, and I love that you are bringing that to life with your podcast because every person whose story you bring forward helps somebody out there connect in a way that's meaningful and is going to help them grow and realize that that they're 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 normal. Yes, <laughs> no matter what they're experiencing. Oh, absolutely. And you brought up another good point there too. Just think about this podcast and talking to every single person and hearing their story. Like we're all individual, but then mm -hmm. we're also able to connect in that way too. And the key theme of knowing that we are definitely not alone. Like you had your experience, but then like sharing that with me, it's like we can just keep pulling on that thread and realize that I've had a similar experience or that we're able to connect on a deeper level that way. And that's just been the, um, so the shift gears again to my next question for you then would be since you're within organizational development, management, talent management, the many different titles <laughs> within <laughs> our team that we hold. So within that sense there too, what do you think is a characteristic that everyone should possess regardless of their title, whether they're an associate, a VP, or in between? Hmm. Okay, I got, can I give two? <laughs> oh, you can give as many as you like, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> so the, the two that, that to me stand head and shoulders above the others are emotional intelligence and curiosity. And I think that no matter what position you're in, um, having a, a deep level of emotional intelligence and a natural curiosity that you're willing to engage and stimulate will help you maximize your impact, continue to grow, continue to, um, to play meaningful roles in, in your job, in your organization, in your community in a way that will allow you to grow. And not everybody wants to grow up upwards in an organization, but if you yeah. do, emotional intelligence and curiosity will get you there. If you just want to go deeper and become more expert, emotional intelligence and curiosity will help you get there. Uh, we learn so much in relation to each other. And um, I know that for a long time, it's been operational expertise that has helped people move through organizations. So I'm the expert in this, so I'm going to lead this. Now I'm the expert in this plus this, so I'm going to lead that. We are, we are moving away from a, a world where expertise and subject matter knowledge is king. Um, to a place where, as, and I'm, I'm guessing this has come up in other podcasts too, but um, the, the speed of change is just so intense. And the ability of artificial intelligence and machine learning and just the development of new things, if you think about the, the rate of innovation that we're experiencing in the world right now, it would be impossible to be an expert in everything that you need to know. Yeah. But you can be an expert in the components of emotional intelligence and that will make you uniquely suited to thrive and and no matter what happens in the world those are going to continue to be needed skills as a matter of fact i would say the more human the characteristic is the more important it is to develop it right because that's the differentiator moving yes. forward so emotional intelligence you know made up of self-awareness self-management relational awareness or social awareness and um, relational management that's what allows you to to be in control of yourself to understand what others need and how to reach them so that you are able to deepen the relationships whether that's to help you advance your thinking in an area of expertise whether it's to help you inspire and lead others um, whether it's to help you understand the community and social issues, you can't do that if you can't truly be aware of what's happening for you and be aware of what's happening for others. And then curiosity, I think, gosh, I would hate to see us lose our curiosity because right. that's 
That's what propels the innovation and leads us into new experiences and growth. You said something earlier about you're never done growing and like heaven forbid we are because the saddest thing somebody can say is it doesn't get better than this. Right. Um, I hope to be growing and learning and evolving and, and learning new things until the day that I die. That will be um, as good as it gets. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and I think that if you're curious about things, you don't go into them being committed to being right, as we know. And you do go into them thinking, what else can I learn from this? What might I be missing? What do I not see yet that would be helpful for me to know? Who have I not heard from? Whose voice are we missing? Um, and, you know, particularly if you think about the, the climate in, in our world today is we have an increasing awareness of voices that are missing in the conversation. And, um, and I think about how important it is to be curious about both what you are hearing and what you're not hearing that you should be, who you're not hearing from that you should be. Excellent point there again as well, too. And it just when you were sharing that got me to thinking, like, is emotional intelligence and curiosity, are they actually intertwined then where mm -hmm. you have the self-awareness piece and the empathy piece with it, but also being curious to learn more about a particular topic or what is going on out there in the world as far as people like checking out books at the library or watching films on Netflix. I, I feel like within that conversation, I feel like both of them could be intertwined. Like, too. Yeah. Um, good question. So I, as I'm saying this, I'm aware that there are people who probably know the real answer. So let me just preface it by saying this is just Alice's thought at the moment, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is that I think that if you, if you have a low emotional intelligence, a low self-awareness, low ability to connect socially or relationally with others, you're probably in a state of ego threat a lot. And mm -hmm. when you, when your ego is threatened, you can't be curious because you're in survival mode. So I would say that the more you are focused on surviving, on not losing, on not being exposed as a fraud, on not um, being, being chased or shamed or disadvantaged in some way, it, it, when you're in that spot, you can't be curious and learning because you're in survival mode. Do you think um, to follow that logic through investing in your emotional intelligence should should then in turn give you the confidence to say i'm not in danger here i know myself i know the situation i'm in and i know how to navigate it um, so i can afford to be curious i don't have to keep my guard up i'm not being hunted on the savannah i <laughs> i can i can slow down and be curious and ask questions and learn more because i'm not threatened um, and there are always threats, but I would say that a deep level of emotional intelligence allows you to sort out those threats more quickly um, and say, okay, am I in danger? Or no, no, I'm not in danger, actually. I'm okay. Um, I can get regrounded quickly and then shift back to a place where I can be open and curious. Right. Good points you brought up there, too, because when I talked to Sue Heiser earlier in a podcast, we did talk about the growth mindset and how mm -hmm. one does progress in growth and how you kind of get out of that, what does she call it, the lizard brain survival mode yeah, yeah. and shift out of that to being a more curious, open-minded person. And I really feel like there is that emotional intelligence or empathy piece with it as well. I feel like when you're curious that you're more open-minded to understand people when they're talking and trying to get their point of views as well, even though you may not agree with it necessarily. It's just, you got to be, you got to recognize the other person's emotions and where they're coming from as well. And I definitely feel like that's where the curiosity and the mm -hmm. open-mindedness there. There's an idea that I, um, I picked up in a book that I've been reading recently called The Craft of the Warrior that that has really been helping me think about fear and threat and that it's like you don't have to be afraid if you know what to do when you don't know what to do and mm -hmm. if you think about it that is the in our real lives because we are really not in dan truly dangerous situations so if we can develop our own sense of I don't have to worry because I know what to do when I don't know what to do and that really is tapping into that emotional intelligence. So if yes. I, if I, this is now just my words, not the books. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> if I, if I don't know what to do, I can zoom in and say, okay, what's happening with me? What's my self-awareness? And then I can reflect out and say, okay, so what's actually happening here versus what I, what I initially thought might be happening that I can pay attention to. Okay. Now can I go back in and trust my instinct and trust that, um, 
I don't have an external reference point for what great looks like in this situation. So I have to, I have to be my own compass for that. And can I trust it? And now can I take the steps without being 100% sure that it's the right thing to do? And I would say if you've developed the right relationships, you'll find that, that you can do that. Um, and even should you fall, people will have the grace to pick you back up. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there as well. Just excellent points there, too. I really feel like all across the board, definitely emotional intelligence is, just, is definitely a characteristic. Curiosity is a new one for me. So that's very exciting to hear that you think that's just a characteristic that everybody should possess. And I totally agree with you on that. I, I guess I never thought about it that way. <laughs> you know what, though, Tara, I would I would use curious as a word to describe you. So and I think Thank other you. people who know you would say that, too. I think so too. Yeah, it's it's hard to like describe that when I'm talking about myself. I feel like when other people bring that up, it's like, yeah, that's actually a good point. I've never like, I guess I've never seen it that way before. But yeah, I, yeah. I think I'm a curious person. Hope to continue to be that way up until my the day of my last breath. Really, like you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier too. I, I don't ever want to stop being like that because that would be a really sad time if I ever stop being curious or just want to learn at some point. Something's going on yeah. there. Nice, cool. So um, to wrap it up here, then too. In the conversation we had there earlier, you did mention some key things like artificial intelligence and machinery as well within um, organizations as well and how a lot of them are trying to adapt to that ever-changing working landscape. So within that same realm, what trends do you see in the next five to 10 years just in the general workforce or within like talent management organizational development that you would want to share? Yeah, so I think a lot of it is sort of what I hit on the 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 nature of work is is changing and will continue to change at a really fast pace. Um, the the things that humans do at work, I predict, will be very different in just a few years, and certainly maybe unrecognizable in fifteen years. Uh, so the if you think about the jobs that we do and how when we were children either they didn't exist or we didn't know they existed. Um, when I look at my daughters who are 10 and 13, I think there's no way that I'm even going to ask them what they want to be when they grow up because it doesn't exist yet. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think that the, the nature of work, I, I think will be um, more focused on the uniquely human attributes or the skills in advancing technology quickly. So I do think that if you're somebody who knows how to do or can learn how to do the machine learning and programming that is going to help um, drive that amazing efficiency and growth, that's a huge career um, trajectory. And that's going to be, um, you see the, the rate at which those skills become stale too. Um, the, yeah. but, so those people are going to have to be super curious to continue to constantly upskill. And that's a factor for talent developers is that we can no longer, and you've heard me say this before, but we can no longer hire people for a skill and then just teach them how to do it at our organization. We need to hire people for an aptitude um, and then prepare to teach them over and over and over how to do their work or prepare to teach them how to learn so that they can teach themselves how to do their work. Um, the people who will thrive in the future world of work are the are those people who can continue to learn and grow and and not be like oh things are changing again but be like yes things are changing again and here's how I'm changing along with them. So I think um, a lot of the things that if you think about leaders specifically, a lot of the things that that used to be leaders' job, um, you know, around predictions and operational improvements and market trends uh, are, are now completely able to be done through artificial intelligence, in, in fact, more accurately than humans can. Yeah. Um, and what remains for the, for the human leader is cultivating connection and inspiring and motivating and, and setting a vision and connecting to the why, um, servant leadership and, um, and resonant because we continue to need highly human skills and capabilities and and what we need from our leaders is that deep humanity that makes it all make sense that's the difference between I'm laying bricks and I'm building a cathedral that ties people into a sense of purpose that helps them moving mankind forward humankind forward in a way that makes this world um, a more loving um, caring and, and peaceful place uh, which ultimately is, is what it's all about 
Excellent point there too. Um, technology and robots have been able to help advance a lot with humans over the past 50 years, 100 years, however far you want to go back as well. So that's a good point and that that's obviously going to accelerate. But the thing that most artificial intelligence and robots can't do is have that human connection. So we're always going to need that no matter what. Like as much as I love technology, like Facebook and texting people, there's just a deeper connection when, like you, when I'm talking to you and can see you on the camera, that's a deep connection to me. Even though I can do that with texting, it just has a different value in that sense as well. So I feel like that'll never go away and we're always still going to need that as humans no matter what. And another good point you brought up too, was just the mindset. You could go into it saying, well, yeah, I'm like laying bricks down to build something. Or you could have the flip side of that mindset being like, you know what? I am building that beautiful cathedral or church or building to help serve the community at large. So it could really just come down to the mindset that you go into work every day and realizing the impact that you could have on one person or just a big group as well. So that's a really good point you bring up there too. Yeah, I'm not sure if I answered your original question because I kind of drifted, but. <laughs> no, you're good. I love it when it drifts off and goes down another road yeah. there. So yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just interesting to see artificial intelligence. I feel like that's kind of the new like buzzword as far as there's like artificial intelligence chats. Like when I go to pay my credit card bill online, there's a little chat box um, robot that pops up or whatever. And I always found that was interesting. I don't ever use them. But just to see like how a lot of those companies are transitioning to that too, I just, I thought mm -hmm. that was interesting. I'm like, I didn't even know that technology existed really. And that a lot of companies right. are starting to use them. Yeah. And um, I mean, I'd be lost without my Alexa. So right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not scared of, I'm excited about the future um, and the, the ways that this will allow us to grow and flourish in new ways. And, and, uh, and to think about what, you know, what sustainability looks like, uh, and you know, in terms of, in terms of the earth, and in terms of just the 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 growth of humanity and our ability to care for each other, and um, at every time there's something that is made easier, it should be ideally freeing us up to be thinking and working at a higher level with more impact. Yes, I couldn't have picked a more beautiful note to end our conversation on with just how you wrapped it up there as well. So I just want again, uh, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for being vulnerable. I definitely feel like this conversation is definitely going to impact a lot of the audience and just inspire them in one way or another. Thank you so much for having me, Tara. It was really fun. remember to be kind to yourself and one another and remember if you don't have an invite to the table make your own this is table talk with tara